0: This is Anecdotally Speaking, a podcast to help build your business story repertoire. Hi, I'm Sean Callahan, And I'm Mark Shank. And welcome back to another episode of Anecdotally Speaking. Well, wasn't it exciting to have our uh, chairman here uh, last
1: week to um, talk to us about one of his stories? Yeah, it was great. We talked about having guests and it's good to execute that and I think we should do more of it. Yeah, yeah, so we're now
0: sort of talking to some of our uh, customers and we're going to get them up as guests and I think you'll enjoy some of the stories that they'll tell ranging all sorts of different industries. I think that's going to be the really fascinating element of it. See if there's any patterns, you know, that keep repeating through this. Right, so I guess today uh, I've got a type of story that I'm, I'm, I guess I'm sort of really fascinated with, right? And that is, I would call it the intervention story. So it's the idea behind the story is that it helps other people work out, oh, okay, I could tackle that project that way. And in fact, I told this story just a couple of days ago. I was at a big construction company and they were looking at change that they needed to do, really culture change sort of projects. And they wanted to do it a different way. So I said to them, hey, look, there's some really interesting work that was done in the 90s. Perhaps I can share that example and will spark some ideas on how we might tackle this project. So anyway, so I told him the story of Jerry Stern and his work in Vietnam. You know this one well, don't oh, you? Oh, I do
1: indeed. The bright spots, theory. That's it. Bright spots.
0: The idea of focusing on the positive rather than looking for problems to solve. But let me just share you the but example. Be-
1: before you do, I, yeah. Like so, we you know bright spots, etc. It's also called positive deviance. Let's <laughs> get a bit of a laugh, you know. But for all our listeners, it's deviance with an A N C E, not. A-N-T-S. A-N-T-S. Yeah, gotcha.
0: Right, yeah, positive deviance. So it happened. It all started back in the 90s. Uh, essentially, Vietnam was facing a problem across the entire country of children being malnourished. And it was it was a devastating problem. I think it was a, probably a flow-on from the Vietnam War, a whole range of things going on where kids were just underweight. And so the government decided they wanted to do something about it. So they put out the... Feelers to find someone and they found a gentleman called Jerry Sternan who actually was running the charity Save the Children in the Philippines at the time and they asked him to move over to Vietnam and start up a, a, a save the children branch there in their country took his family over set it up but when he got there he actually found out he he wasn't all that welcomed actually he was uh, they gave him a six month visa they, they weren't didn't want I guess they didn't want Americans coming in telling them what to do you know who could blame them right but They got him in and he said, Okay, I know what he's done the research. He knew what the sort of big issues were around poverty, around water cleanliness. And quite frankly, he put that into the category of true but useless. He could not change that. He couldn't make a change to water cleanliness or any of those sort of things. So he said, Look, we've got to start at a much more micro level. Let's get down to the village level. And he would go to a, a start off with just a handful of villages. and for each village, he would go in and he would say to the, you know, the village leaders, do you have any examples of where kids are actually at their healthy weight? And by the way, I don't want children who have got the rich uncle or, you know, sort of have some extra resources available to them. But just, you know, your standard families. And of course, every time they said, yeah, of course, we've got those sort of kids and they'd point them out. And so he said, oh, well, OK, well, I want you to go and just check out what do they do differently than the kids who are not doing so well, the ones who are underweight? And they came back and this pattern started to emerge around these first set of villages, which was, first of all, they noticed that their mothers would go down to the rice paddies and find uh, little crabs and shrimps out of the water and bring them up and put them into the food. It wasn't the normal thing that was done. Secondly, if the children were ill... Uh, they would keep shoveling food into them, right? They didn't stop them from feeding their children. And thirdly, there was a, a plant that was kind of regarded as a weed, right? And the mothers who were doing well with their children actually worked out how to cook this plant and they would add it in for extra nutrients. So there was a series of small things that they were doing that were making this difference. So Jerry Stern said, okay, why don't we, uh, he got the leaders of, together again he said why don't we now work out what would you do to help the mothers who are not doing so well learn from the mothers who are and one of the answers was well why don't we get them to cook together so they set up this hut they would do all this cooking they had a lot of conversation a lot of stories told uh, you know have fun actually they were having fun doing it and at the same time they were weighing the children and over a six-month period something like 70% of the children had a marked, you know, like brought up to healthy weight, but most importantly maintained that weight. So at this point, they had this great positive, if you like, result out of this. And the government said, oh, this is great. Why don't we roll this out? Have you heard oh, that before? Or his visa. Well, you know, that was, the, that was the other thing, right? But, you know, how many times have you heard an organisation get a success and they say, we're going to roll this out? I know, you know. Oh, all the time. All the time.
1: Yep, we figured it
0: out. Here's the answer. Let's go. Let's go. So Stern, and I think this is his genius in all this, he pushed back on that and he sort of said, look, you can't roll this out. You've got to do the same thing again, you know, through, and it'll be different answers in different villages and different contexts. And so, anyway, off he goes. He gets his visa extended and starts to do other villages. He's there for 10 years. And he ends up making a difference to 2.2 million children in Vietnam. The problem is, is just about being eradicated now. And it's now the standard way in which they uh, try
1: to address these really systemic social issues that uh, are really hard to change. Wow, well, it's kind of interesting that that's being done in Vietnam and uh, a lot of those social issues, maybe not exactly the same one, but we have many social issues, but we don't tackle them that way. No, no, we don't. But here's what hmm. I found it was really interesting. When I was
0: sharing that with my construction company sponsor, you could see sort of the wheels turning and immediately she said, you know, the villagers, they're just like our project sites, right? We need to go down and find out what these guys are doing well and see if we can do more of it, right? And see if we can transfer that knowledge between... All the sort of questions, it just gives you this different perspective. And I suppose this is the, the next part of our show, right? You know, why does this work? What is it about this type of story that connects with people, do you think?
1: Oh, well, there's a whole bunch. But the first one is that it's about kids. Right. So, yep, we're fascinated by kids. You know, apparently children are our future. And there's a song to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the fact that it's about the health and welfare of children right. is very attention-getting. It totally breaks the script. We expect somebody to go in, figure out the answer, and then just tell everybody. Yes. And the way Stern pushed back was a fundamental to the success of that program. The Bright Spots approach is like counterintuitive, it's not what we normally do. Right, right, exactly. And, and I think that's one of the
0: great elements of that story. Like any story, you know, it's a surprise component of the story that makes it uh, uh, interesting. But I think. The other part, which is it's so concrete, you could work out how to develop something similar in your own organisation. It's, it's really a metaphor or an analogy, I should say, for a new project in a different context, in a different industry. How do we reconstruct that so that we
1: can make it work in our area? Yeah, I think also what works about that story and that enables it to be repeated so usefully is the detail that you had. What, the, what were the three things that Sternen found in that first set of villages? Yes. The scooping of the prawns and the shrimps and adding that to the food. Yep. Even if the kids are sick, they're still getting their daily food, meagre though it was, and they were adding that vegetable in and adding more nutrients. So, look, I mean, I haven't, I haven't read that story for years, but I can tell you though, right, it's, they're so concrete. Yes. And in being so concrete, this is why that story is effective because it, it helps trigger to the listener, the things that they might do or find or look for. Yeah.
0: And imagine the the alternative to that. And this is the sort of thing we hear quite often is where people sort of say, look, we want to do a change project. And what we'll do is we'll give each site autonomy to do it for themselves and really find best practice and replicate the best practice through that particular site. And there'll be knowledge
1: transfer that happens as a result of that
0: you know, and it's this language which is so abstract. Yeah. You're going well. What what do you actually do out of
1: that, right? But, so I just want to add to what you were saying there because that would often be finished with something like, and you know, like I've said it quite uh, quite concretely there. But essentially, we're applying the theory of positive deviance to this. So, yeah, right. So so the the mistaken belief that uh, these things that we say are in fact concrete and understandable when they are they're almost impenetrably abstract.
0: Indeed. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, it's
0: trying – and this is, comes down to habit, right? Trying to get that habit that's what we've been talking about. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about what makes that story work. What are the situations?
1: Oh Well, uh, if I was working on a project team, uh, doing a pro- helping a, a big construction company.
0: <laughs> you give it a go there, would you? I'd give it a go there, yeah. Yeah, so, right.
1: So, I mean, exactly as you've done if you're in a situation where you want to achieve some sort of change. It's a great story to illustrate to people that there's multiple ways to think about skinning that change cat. Yes. And and again, it's trying to get people to think outside the box,
0: right? To use one of those cliched terms. but We're not beyond cliches here. Every now and then, <laughs> you've got to throw a good one in, right? But just to sort of shake people up so that they're not hearing the same thing, it's almost becomes they become deaf to it. Actually, I find that one of some of the greatest innovations you know sort of management innovations happen when you take it from one you know field and take it over the fence to the next field and then people go they haven't even thought of doing it that way like another one that we love to use is called most significant change and that again comes from the non-profit sort of sector so there's stuff happening in different sectors that
1: most organizations have no idea about right you got to look over. You've got to peer over the fence. Yeah. I'm actually working uh, with a, a global client at the moment. They're involved in a, a major transformation from operating like hundreds of separate business units to a much more consolidated operating entity. Yeah. So, And uh, they talk about bringing the outside in and they they go out and uh, they visit similar industries and they're just learning so much. Yes. So that peering over the fence, looking what are the others doing, is a great way of – triggering ideas for what you can do differently in your own organisation.
0: Now, Tell me with those guys, are they looking at people in a similar industry to them or are they going further afield and sort of seeing whether they can find almost like metaphors for what they're doing?
1: Yeah, so they're in a uh, food industry and they're, looking, they're going and visiting banking. Right, okay. I mean, they are doing other food industries. Yeah, of course. But they also are going into vastly different industries and, yeah. and seeing what they're doing.
0: Yeah, that's a great, it's a great strategy. Yeah, so I think they're the, when you're trying to get people to think differently, when you're trying to give them very specific ways to tackle a change project or a change program, this type of story is great. can't think of any other particular uses. Anything for you?
1: No, not, not off the top of my head. It does trigger another story that I love, right? which is along the same lines. Um, in Africa in the 1980s, Guinea worm. Right. So Guinea worm, back in the 80s and 90s, millions of people infected with guinea worm terrible parasite so it had enormous social health and economic implications because people who contracted the guinea worm caused massive uh, infections in their villages etc guy from the carter center donald hopkins went to africa and tackled the guinea worm problem exactly the same way stern did what he did he looked for villages that had low incidence right of guinea worm the bright spot yep Deviating to the positive. And he just studied what they did. And very, very simple practices. The females of the village would go to the water hole, collect the water, but before pouring it, they take their scarves off and put their scarves over the mouth of the water container, effectively filtering the water because the larvae of the guinea worm yep. breeds in water. It was socially acceptable to daub your mate in if they were infected with guinea worm. Yeah, it was expected. Really? Yeah, you know, first sign, you need to know. Because then what they did is they kept them away from water sources. Because the guinea worm, it propagates in water, and so they have to keep people away from the water sources. And, of course, when you're infected with the guinea worm, all you want to do is the burning, itching, you want to ease it by getting into water. So it pretty much exactly the same thing. He identified those bright spots, but he failed the first time. Uh, Because he adopted, he didn't do what Jerry Cern did. They just went around and told people what the answer was. (laughs) And nothing changed. Nothing changed. And what they found was that they got people with a bit of a profile to do the normal African thing, right, which is to walk barefoot into the village and sit in the village square. And people would come and then they would start talking. And then they would explain what was happening and then ask what was happening in that village. And anyway, this approach is so successful that the guinea worm is predicted to be the only disease that's ever going to be eradicated from the planet Earth without a cure being found.
0: Is that right?
1: It's going to be eradicated through behavior change. It's pretty awesome. That is amazing. Amazing. But there's one more twist to this story. Really? And that is that because the guinea worm is now so rare, there is a group of people who have started a foundation called Save the Guinea Worm. (laughs) (laughs) And they are uh, infecting themselves with guinea worm to make sure... It continues on. Yeah, I like, there you go. Okay, so on that note, <laughs> it goes how enterprising humans are, and sometimes how dumb.
0: <laughs> well, okay, let's let's go back to the Jerry Stern yep. uh, story. Rating: What's your rating for the story? You know, how usable is it? How
1: impactful do you think the story is? Well, I think it's very high impact. Very high impact. It's a fantastic story, particularly application in change situations. And so I'm going to give that one an eight. An eight? Yeah,
0: I, my, that's my experience. When I'm telling this story, people are like hanging. They're sort of, what happens next? What happens next? They want to know how this is going to be resolved and what the end result is. Uh, so for that, and because it gives you such good, it's a, such a good starting point to a conversation. Right? It just gets people thinking creatively about you know, how they might tackle things. I'm going to give it a nine. I think this is my top score so far. It is. That's,
1: uh, that's right. is. You've knocked it out of the park with that one, Sean. Yeah.
0: Well, guys, that's uh, really
1: where we want to finish things up. So thanks for listening to Anecdotally Speaking. And if you'd like this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes or make comments. And if what we've said has triggered your own story, please go to our blog and share the story and help build everybody's story banks. Bye for now.